Well, it's been a, a great pleasure and an honor for us to start reading our books, Faith Like Potatoes. You might be asking yourself a question, where did a name like that come from? Well, I can honestly tell you it never came from me. There was a Scottish preacher, Peter Marshall. He had an incredible way with words. They say that students used to come and sit in the back of his meetings just to hear him speak the English language. And he said to his students one day, you must have faith, faith that is tangible, faith that you can touch, faith that you can see, faith like <laughs> potatoes. Chapter five, the God of miracles. It was my first Easter as a Christian. As I look back over the past month, I realized how much life had changed. What a privilege and a pleasure to serve the living God and to know that he was in control of all the details of my redeemed life. I felt so humble and awed to think that the Lord had saved me. I felt I could believe him for anything. I didn't know just how soon my faith would be put to the test. Simeon Bengu, my faithful foreman, was waiting in the yard together with a gang of farm workers. It was a lovely April morning. The rains had stopped and autumn had begun. An ideal time to burn fire breaks. I looked at Simeon. His face was beaming happily. This was the same man I wanted to beat up the day he crashed my tractor. In those days, that big strong Zulu was a fiery fighter, a womanizer and a boozer. Now he is a beautiful child of God, born again of the Spirit of God. Come on, Simeon, I said, let's burn those firebreaks. It was a windy day, but there wasn't a cloud in the sky. The grass was still fairly green, and we were not too concerned about the fire getting out of control. We began burning at about 9 a.m. Everything was going as planned. It was going to be a good day. Suddenly, a tremendous gale force wind blew up. Some of the burning grass blew across the road and dropped into the thick undergrowth of a forest that had not been burned for years. The wind started to fan those flames and the fire started spreading as we watched in horror. We've got to get it out, I shouted. Panic struck my heart. Our farm is bordered by a big timber company. On the one side, we have Lion Match Company. On the other side, HLNH. Both companies owning hundreds and hundreds of hectares of timber. If the fire were to jump from our farm and into those forests, I shuddered to think what would happen. I ran to my pickup and took off down the road. I was driving so fast that the tailgate of the pickup flew right off. Jill, I shouted as I screeched to a halt, call the farmers, ask them to help us. Ask them to come now, we've got a fire. Small farmers have limited firefighting equipment, and I knew we could not handle that fire by ourselves. The situation was desperate. I rushed back to the fire to see what was happening. It was a nightmare. The fire had already grown into a raging inferno and spread to the pine trees. The pine resin began to explode. As I ran past, one of the trees exploded and all the hair on the back of my neck and down my back was burnt off. I didn't even notice it in the frantic rush to try and contain the fire in the undergrowth. Within half an hour, all our neighbors had arrived with their firefighting equipment. They had water tankers, tractors with high pressure hoses and water carts. 
We were going to need everything we could get as we surrounded the area and tried desperately to suppress the fire and prevent it from jumping into the neighboring forests. The heat was incredible. At about 11 o'clock, they had to leave. The next day was Good Friday and a public holiday, and many of them had to return to their farms to pay their laborers. As I watched them go, I realized with a hollow feeling in the pit of my stomach that the likelihood of the fire jumping the fence was now a very real possibility. A scripture flashed into my mind. It was from Mark chapter 11 and verse 24, which says, Whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you'll have them. I'm going to pray and ask the Lord Jesus to please send rain. I told the Zulu driver, he was pouring liters and liters of water onto the fire, and he looked at me in surprise. Then he began to laugh. There'll be no rain because the rainy season is over. Can't you see that there are no clouds in the sky? That was true. The sky was clear. The wind was blowing and there was not the slightest hint of rain. I closed my eyes and said a very simple prayer. Not even five minutes later, we heard a mighty clap of thunder. My legs literally turned to jelly and I started trembling. The Zulu driver's eyes were as big as saucers and his mouth hung open. The north wind subsided and a south wind blew up. Deep, dark clouds rolled in, and within half an hour, a gentle drizzle began to fall over Shalom. I stood there in awe as I watched the rain douse that angry, raging fire. God's goodness overwhelmed me. Jill and the children went to the Good Friday service. I set off in my tractor with a 300-liter sprayer to patrol the perimeter of the fire. Lord, you're so good. I wept as I looked around me. The rain had completely put the fire out. What a mighty God we serve, and with him nothing is impossible. God was going to stretch my faith even further. This was just the beginning. Growing seed maize is hard work, and we often employed large groups of casual labor to assist us. Sometimes we have as many as 150 to 200 women from Zululand working with us for a few weeks at a time. I took every opportunity to speak to them about the power of God. You must serve Him and not your ancestral spirits and idols, I told them. God alone is your source of supply and strength. He is the great God. I prayed that the Lord would speak to these women and save their souls. I did not expect what happened next. Ngosan, Ngosan, please come. Something terrible has happened. I heard the women screaming above the noise of the tremendous thunderstorm. Rain was pelting down on our tin roof with such force that we could hardly hear ourselves speak. I ran to the window and huddled up against the fence. I could see a group of women with blankets wrapped around them. What's wrong? I called out. What's happened? Everybody was shouting and talking excitedly. But I managed to make out that the lightning had struck the hut in which these women were sleeping. Fifty of them had been struck to the ground and all had recovered except one. Where is she? I asked. They left her lying in the hut covered by a blanket. She is dead, they insisted. You must come now. I jumped into the pickup with some of the women and we rushed to the hut some half a kilometer away. It was a traditional Zulu hut with a very small entrance. You have to literally go on your hands and knees to enter in. Bring her outside, I said. They refused. There was no ways that they would touch her or even help to put her in the pickup so that we could take her to the hospital. 
You told us that your God was powerful. You must pray and ask him to touch this woman. We want to see if this Jesus you talk about is actually for real. I stood there stunned. Fear gripped my heart and I cried out to the Lord, you have to help me now. I don't know what to do. I crawled inside the hut. A fire was burning in the middle of it and smoke was everywhere. I couldn't see a thing. Outside, the woman had begun to wail and lament. Someone pointed out the body on the far side of the hut. I will never know for sure whether this woman was dead or unconscious, but in raw faith and with much fear and trembling, I walked over to the body, laid my hands on her, closed my eyes and said a simple prayer. Lord, please bring healing to this woman's body. I don't believe in manhandling people when I pray for them, but I felt a strong impression from the Holy Spirit that I was to lift this woman up by her arms and stand her on her feet. I bent over her, lifted her to the standing position and then let go. She remained standing in the middle of the hut. There was deathly silence at the door. Can you hear me? I asked. She nodded her head. Lift up your hands to God. The woman lifted her arms into the air and pandemonium broke out. These women were no longer wailing. They were screaming and shouting, dancing and singing the praises of God. It was an awesome moment. The farm laborers spoke of nothing else for weeks. God had performed a wonderful miracle and they told everybody about the woman who had been touched and healed by him. Our God is a miracle working God. Many times we have to plant in the dust of our lives by faith and trust him for the outcome. All he asks is that we believe his word and trust him. He loves to do the impossible. How easily we forget. One Sunday morning, we were all getting ready for church. We had been Christians for less than a year. The children were still very small. Jill was giving them breakfast in the kitchen. When I happened to look out the window, Jill, I explained, look at our cow. There's something wrong. I think she's dying. We only had this one Jersey cow. She had big eyes and a beautiful dishy face. We called her Hester. Anyone reading this book with the name Hester, please do not be offended. I ran outside and Hester was lying sprawled on her back. I ran back inside, picked up the phone and rang the local vet in Greytown. Rob Patterson answered, can I help you? Yes, I said, a one and only dairy cow is dying. Please come quickly. I was still speaking to him and describing the symptoms of the sick cow when I noticed out of the corner of my eye that Jill and the children had gone outside. I looked out of the window and there was Jill in her dressing gown, Andrew, Lindy, Robin and little Fergie, Jilly wasn't born yet, marching with determination across the paddock towards the cow. The five of them knelt around the sick cow. They laid their hands on her and started to pray. Then they all stood up, including the cow. <laughs> Hester cheerfully continued grazing and chewing the cud as if nothing had happened. Hello, said the vet. Are you still there, Angus? I was feeling really embarrassed. Look, look I, I stuttered, don't worry, you don't have to come out. Everything's okay. The vet was not going to let me get away with it that easily. What do you mean, he said, you've just told me how sick that cow is. What is going on? Well, of course, I had to tell him the truth. Jill and the children have just laid their hands on that cow and prayed for her, and the Lord has healed the cow. There was silence on the other end of the line. I said goodbye quickly and put the phone down. Right there and then I bowed my head and asked the Lord to forgive me for my lack of faith. 
God is no respecter of persons. He uses farmers, housewives, children, and anybody who chooses to believe Him. The Christian life is a life of faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says that we walk by faith and not by sight. Hebrews 11:6 teaches us that without faith, it is impossible to please Him. And for he who comes to God, he must believe that He is and that He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. I was trying to explain that to a man one day. Pete was an alcoholic, and he was staying with us in our little pole and daub house. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon, and I had just knocked off work. I was counseling him very firmly. Pete, I said, it doesn't matter about your past and what has happened in your life, or even the future. What is important is your personal walk with God. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 tells us that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and who are called according to His purpose. If you put your trust in Jesus Christ first, He will take care of the rest. It's all very well for you to speak like that, Angus, he said despondently. You have a wife who loves you. You have beautiful children. You are doing the thing you love the most, farming, but I have nothing. My wife has left me. My children don't want to know me. I don't have a friend in the world, and I don't even have a penny to my name. I glanced out the window. Our maize crop was looking beautiful. It was already head high and in a stunning green color. It was going to be a bumper crop. Lord, I prayed silently, how can I get across to this man that you are sovereign and that as long as we put you first, you will sort out everything else. At that very moment, a dark greenish cloud came over the farm. The wind started to blow fiercely. Within 15 minutes, there was a howling wind blowing. Big heavy drops of rain fell, and that was followed by the sound of a loud crashing on our tin roof. It sounded like somebody was standing outside throwing huge rocks onto our roof. We were in the middle of a ferocious hailstorm. The storm raged for about 15 minutes. We couldn't hear one another speak, and we just sat there stunned. Just as suddenly the wind dropped, the rain and the hail stopped, the clouds parted, and the sun came out. Pete looked shocked. He had also been a farmer, and he knew what this meant. At this time, the only thing we grew on the farm was seed maize, and that was under contract for a seed company. Crop failure meant immediate bankruptcy. We went outside. The magnificent crop of maize that had been standing so tall and proud was now lying flat on the ground. It looked as if somebody had taken a tractor and driven over it all, or a herd of cattle had been driven through it. Water was running down the road like a river. It was impossible to even drive the pickup. So Peter and I walked through that full hundred hectares of seed maize, surveying the damage. I could feel him studying my face as he waited for a reaction. I had just been telling him that it doesn't matter what happens because Jesus Christ is in full control and we are to praise him in all circumstances. Now it was my turn to do exactly that. Peter said, nothing changes. Jesus Christ is still Lord. I have given my life to him. This farm, my family, everything belongs to him and I choose to trust him and praise him in this situation. To be quite honest, that was the absolute last thing I felt like doing. 
But I gritted my teeth, swallowed hard, and made the decision to trust the Lord completely. And so we walked that whole farm. It's not easy to make a decision like that, but you have to keep believing because the Christian walk is not dependent on feelings, but on facts. That night I couldn't sleep. Well, that's it, said the devil. Maybe the bank will be kind to you and only take the farm back at the end of the season. I believe that Jesus Christ is in full control of my situation and I am trusting him, I declare. With God, all things are possible. Three days later, an amazing sight met my eyes. That entire maize crop literally picked itself off the ground and stood up once more. Yes, it had a permanent bend in the stalk, but at the end of the season, we had a bumper crop of seed millies. All praise and honor to God. Jesus Christ is Lord indeed. That's not the end of the story. Some years later, I was sitting in our local church in Greytown and listening to the preacher talking about faith and trusting God in all circumstances. Pete had left us by this time and hit the road again, as was his manner. Although he visits occasionally, I hadn't seen him in a while and had no idea that he was in the church until I heard a loud, booming voice speaking from the back pews right in the middle of the sermon. If you want to know about faith, Pete said emphatically, I will tell you. And with that, he stood up and told the whole congregation, including the minister and the elders and the deacons, all about the crop of maize that had been flattened by the storm and how we had continued to praise God and how the maize had stood up again. I was so embarrassed at that moment that I could have crawled under the church pew. But I'm very thankful to the Lord that this incident obviously had a profound and lasting effect on Pete's life. My prayer for him is that he too will trust in the God of miracles and that the Lord Jesus Christ will work many miracles in his life. Our God is the God of miracles. Thank you for listening to this episode of Faith Like Potatoes. 